Our scripture passage today is taken from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. This is the Lord's word. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. Um, Before we get into this passage, there's sort of a couple of things I would like to, to say to all of you. First of all, I hope you enjoy singing Christmas hymns. But I hope that it feels different singing it in church than hearing it in the malls, than hearing it in the radio. I pray that when you sing it here, you feel the weight of the words that a Savior truly has been born. That Christmas is not about sentiment. It's not even about really family. But it's about our Lord Christ who came down. Who made family matter for the first time as we seek to love our family members. He's the one who's purified our hearts. We're no longer bound by our emotions. But now our emotions are bound by Jesus himself. I pray that during this Christmas season, all of you, this holiday season, you will be seeing many people you haven't seen in a long time, many family members. You'll be seeing many friends and people. You'll be busy. Do not let the busyness overtake you. But instead, look at every moment as an opportunity to share the love of Jesus in word and in deed. Many of you are adult children now. When you look at your parents, don't act like that 12-year-old kid. Don't act like that 8-year-old kid, some of you. But be that adult child who knows the Lord Jesus. Be that adult child who shares the name of Jesus with your parents, your siblings, whoever they may be. 
Don't be entrapped by your own ideas of who you are and your place in, in that family. Don't be reticent. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid to change the way God is changing you. Don't be afraid to change the family dynamics in your family. It'll be hard. It'll be uncomfortable. But this season, the Lord has given you the opportunity to do such a thing. And I urge every one of you to pray and to seek to be loving in such a way that you fulfill the expectations of not your parents or your family, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And then let the Lord Jesus Christ change your family and change your heart. As many of you get ready to go back to, to home or go and go visit in-laws, pray. Secondly, for our students who are here today, your, your exams are coming up. And I say this every, every semester to you guys, so I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> and for those of you who are old, older, should I say, graduate from college already, encourage these um, these younger brothers and sisters of ours. And I encourage you guys, really, you are not defined by your grades. You're not defined by how well you do in the exams. You're defined simply by being a child of God, that's all. There's never going to be a day when Jesus on Judgment Day is going to look at you and say, what was your GPA? Jesus is never going to look at you and say, how well did you do on that, that orgo test? Never. Jesus' command to you only is to do your best in worshiping God as you study. To enjoy what is laid out before you. Not as some means to an end, but in, in itself having value because the Lord has created what you are studying. May it be known to you that no matter how much you study, to remember to take time for the Lord, take time for his church, take time to love other people. You should know by now that you have little control over your grades. Anything could happen. It happened to me. I got sick my senior year in college. Got sick couldn't study. You have exams where you get the exam paper and you look at it and you don't know one question on there. You studied hard, you don't know one question. You don't know what to do. Other times, because of what happened in your life, you just don't have time to study. You take the test and you look at it and that one thing you study is on the test and you go, hallelujah. You don't know. So why worry about something you don't have control over? You know how much time you need to study? Be faithful to that study. Worship God in it. And then I'll allow the Lord to give you the grade that he wants to give you. Secondly, for you guys, if God wants you to be a doctor or a lawyer, you'll be a doctor or a lawyer. That's what God does. 
If he doesn't, no matter how much you try, you won't. You just won't. Believe me, you won't. I know people like that, and, and we know people here like that as well. There are people we look at and going, how in the world did that guy become a lawyer? And then there are other people we know, and we're like, why isn't he a lawyer? Why, why, is, he, why is he doing what he's doing? He, he should have, why? The Lord has his ways. But our job is not to look at what job you have, right? Our duty is to look at the heart and see Christ there. Lastly, for you guys as students, you have an opportunity to minister to other students now. Don't take this for granted. Will you be like every other student and complain about how miserable you are because of exams? Is that going to be you? Are you going to be the student who goes around playing misery poker and says, listen, my life is worse than yours. I have harder things to do than you. Is that going to be you? And if you do do that, and afterwards you go, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. Would you come, like to come to know Jesus? They'll look at you and they go, why? You are just as miserable as I am. But your duty is to what? When you see someone who is just, their identity is just hidden in just academics. You have hope to share with them. Even to say, hey, can I just, let me just pray for you. I know you think this Christianity thing is a bunk, but hey, I'd like to pray to my God for you. Can, can I just pray for you? Sure, you might shrug their shoulders. Go, sure, why not? Pray. Don't be embarrassed. Maybe you have the opportunity to share the good news. Share. Being a student is not a means to an end. Being a student is the opportunity that God has given you to share the good news to all. Be confident in our Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you out here who have gone through college and gone through all that, please affirm to that, to that, that what I said is true. And please affirm to them that when you were, they were, you were their age, that you didn't believe it either. <laughs> but that you wish them to learn a lesson earlier than you did. Praise be to our God and to our Father. In this Advent season, we are going through sort of the Christmas story or, or the events that lead up to the birth of Christ. And we're going to look at it in a very different way, and this isn't sort of uh, the normal ways that I exposit Scripture or preach from Scripture. But we're going to look at the coming of Jesus through the eyes of the people that the Lord has used to bring about the coming of the Savior himself. And for us to learn not only theologically what that means to us today, but also to look at these characters as these people that God has used. And for us to see ourselves in that place as well. Simply people loved by the Lord, instruments in his hands to share the good word of salvation to all. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, 
you'll see that the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, 1 through 17, before our passage today, starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And if you're like any other normal person, it's kind of strange to begin a story with a genealogy, with a list of your ancestors and, and who they were before you. But in the ancient world, a genealogy held a special place. Because just like in the old European setting, right, people's last names were basically names of the people who were before you. John, the, the son of David, the son of whoever it may be. There were no sort of last names. You were just simply known as the, as the, as the offspring of, of your father before you, who was the offspring of the father before you. And your identity of who you are and what you can do, what job you could have, was tied into your lineage. We know that all around the world, there are social settings of people. Um, a lot of these are people who de dealt with, with carcasses, uh, people who were butchers, people who um, tanned hides that, that in, the, in, in, in East Asia, that these people were the lowest of the rung. And depending upon your last name or, or your lineage, that's the job you, were, you had for the rest of your life. But we also know the opposite, that if you were descended from a king in royalty, you would always be royalty. For those of you who are Anglophiles, you're probably following the news of all the stuff that's going on in England, of people who are getting married and people having kids. And, and you know that there, there's honor in following that English line. Our genealogy tells us who we are and who we're from. The genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17 is remarkable because of the lineage of who Jesus was. And it's remarkable because of the names of the people who are on there. It's not the name of simply kings after kings after kings. But we have names of people who are normal. People, like they say, who we as regular people would not want or desire to be made known. A prostitute named Rahab, who was able to help the Israelites, prominent within there. Not only a woman, but one who made a living out of selling herself. And God in his infinite wisdom was showing to you and to me that the lineage of Jesus is not the lineage of kings or royalty that we see here, but the lineage of Jesus is simply the common person or all of us here today. And at the end of that lineage, we get to the story of Jesus' parents, and of Jesus' identity. Now, we, we make it look romantic and cute when we have the major scene. Okay, here's Joseph and Mary. Look at this beautiful couple. Look how clean they are. Look at their nice little uh, uh, head coverings and, and their clothes. And we, we see these people, we imagine them to be sort of like these romantic 
old, no, sorry, these romantic poor people of the country and, and chosen by God to be the parents of the Savior. But we have to remember Joseph and Mary were not people of means. They are, this is not some romantic story. But they were simply poor, humble people who were looking to follow the Lord. That God did not come as the son of a king or a prince, but the Lord came through the family of Joseph and Mary. I want to stop there. And I want you to reflect on the glory of God's commonness to us. Look at your life. We all aspire to have our life full of purpose and meaning. We all aspire to be, I don't know, some of you, um, leaders of industry. We all aspire to make impact on thousands and thousands of people. And we aspire to do so with, with, with education, with training. And all that is good. And the Lord's given that to you. Praise be to God. But there's something more simple and basic about God's economy that transforms us to serve him. That God simply wants people who are simple, unassuming, and obedient. And in so doing, God can transform you. God can transform you into a mighty worker for his kingdom. I was encouraged um, a couple of weeks ago when Phil and myself um, had dinner with uh, this um, missionary from Zimbabwe. And what encouraged me the most about him was his humility, more than, more than anything else. And his simpleness, more than anything else. He went to a community college. Not a man with a seminary degree or knew how to read Greek and Hebrew and, and all those things. Not a man who had these grandiose plans to, to go to the missions field and change the world. He was simply a deacon at his church, just loving to serve people pragmatically with his hands, with his feet. And God called him to the missions field. First South America, now Zimbabwe with his wife and his family back then to serve. 
Now, if we were to look upon him ourselves, we would say, what do you have to offer? What's your education? What are your qualifications? How can you serve the Lord? And God says to him, and God says to all of you, your only qualification to serve him, now that you're a child of God, is to not overthink, but to simply obey and to go and follow and to share the good news. God requires nothing more. God requires nothing less. Here at this church, I praise God when you're able to to do, we praise God when you're able to do great things in society. But when you're here in this church, we're worshiping God together. The last thing in our minds is, what do you do for a living? What's forefront in our minds is, how are you doing with our Lord Jesus? How's your faith? For in these walls and amongst us, we start with first principles. And the first principles are those that have eternal value. You. And your relationship with the Lord. For again, as I address the college students in heaven, no one's going to care. <laughs> about anything else you did in this life that's important to those people in this world. But God in heaven will say, how have you done with the gifts I have given you? Have you been faithful to me? The Lord will use you in immense ways. Let's look at the story. And let's look at the, the amazing um, thing that transpired here. First, we see that Mary was pledged to marry Joseph. So they were betrothed together. They were basically, these two families had set them up. They weren't married yet. But before they became, came together, she was found Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Can you say scandal? Can you say scandal? You know, maybe not so much today in our modern world, but just a generation ago, that girl would be sent to, the, to go visit their relatives in New York for about a year and then return. And people would say, oh, where, where were you? Oh, just... Spent a year with my, with my aunt in New York. We just wanted to, you know, go there. A scandal. Now, next week, we'll look at Mary, and we'll look at her response to what's happening to her. A sort of a, a woman's point of view. But at this point, we understand that here is Mary the woman that I'm supposed to marry. 
and she's pregnant. At this point, I don't know what's going on. Scripture tells me it's by the Holy Spirit, but if I'm Joseph, I don't know what's going on yet. And here's where we get to see Joseph's beautiful character, men. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to what? To the law. Faithful to the Lord. A simple man who loved God more than anything else. He wasn't looking for retribution. He wasn't looking to, to vent his anger. He wasn't looking to get drunk. But he says here in scripture, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her or to annul the, um, um, the, the coming marriage, to divorce her quietly. God had brought this man, Joseph, into Mary's life. And this man, Joseph, was a man who knew how to love and a man who knew how to protect the dignity of people around him. How do I know that? Because if he can protect the dignity of a woman he's about to marry who gets pregnant, he is a man who upholds the dignity of all people for God's glory. Men, when I look at Joseph, women, too, when you look at a man like this and you see his humility and love for the Lord, even in the midst of not understanding what's happening in his life. You see God's grace working in him. For us as men, our duty is to do as Joseph has done, is not to look at the circumstance and, get, and respond in anger or frustration. You'll be confused. But even in the midst of the confusion, to do what is right before the Lord, for his love for the Lord overtakes any emotional response. And so he had in mind to simply divorce her quietly and to walk away. See, this is why you'll never see the story in soap operas because it's there's nothing it's scandalous, but no one does anything wrong. The Lord, by his grace and his mercy, allows Joseph and Mary, prepares them to be parents of the Savior who is to come. But in verse 20, um, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord 
had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will, give him, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So God has this supernatural grace and mercy upon Joseph. And in a dream, he sends the angel of God and reveals to Joseph exactly what he's doing. In this dream, he reveals to him that, listen, that what is in the womb of Mary is going to be this child named Emmanuel to, to whom will be the savior of this world, who will save us from our sins. You are not to divorce her. But you are to walk with her. Now, number one, having a dream where the angel of the Lord appears to you and speaks directly for you. That's every Christian's dream. <laughs> but let me say this right now. God does not speak directly like that anymore. God doesn't need to. God speaks through his scriptures. And what is required of us as God's people to love him and to love others is made plain in scripture. If you want to know what the beautiful plan is that God has in your life, read scripture. Don't wait for a dream. But even so, in this dream, God lays out to him, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is the, the, the child in her womb. Even then, Joseph, having the humility that he has, simply follows Come on, man, be honest. Even if you had that dream, and you know it was from the Lord, how hard would it be to simply obey God as well? How difficult it would be to follow the, follow the Lord himself. And yet Joseph's spirit, again, was humble. And he obeyed. For all of us, you do not know how great the work is God wants to do in your life until you humble yourself and simply obey. You do not understand how much he can use you to change this world, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth if you don't simply obey. You don't have to have any qualifications. God is the one who works in you and through you. And Joseph could have said, listen, this woman is pregnant. I'm going to out her. She's, she needs to be stoned. No. Grace and mercy. Even that revelation of the dream, Joseph could have said, no, God. Even if this is from you, I am not going to do this. I'm going to walk the other way. Simple faith of a simple man. God used to protect the Savior, to protect the mother of the Savior, to bring about his birth and the salvation for many. 
verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And verse 25. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Verse 25. Again. We're just sort of layering on Joseph's simple faith and following of him. Mary being pregnant. Joseph did not consummate his marriage until after the birth of Jesus himself. And his love for his wife and his obedience to the Lord. This in a day and age when people are engaged and no one can wait. <laughs> Here's a man who understood what the Lord was calling him to do was to be humble and obedient to God. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper the bread and the wine together. It's a simple thing that we do. For the gospel is not complex or ornate by its dressing, but it's rich and beautiful. Simply what it is. God's love for you. The story of Jesus' lineage, the story of Mary and Joseph, the story of Joseph himself and his obedience to the Lord impresses upon our hearts. For we know in the end that Jesus' life and death and resurrection saves us who are sinners. And as we reflect back on the role of Joseph in all of this, He did not have a PhD. He was not one of the learned of society. He was not one to overthink lots of things. But he was a man who longed to hear God's voice in the law and the dream. as I address to you before this message. This Christmas season, you'll be meeting lots of family people, family members, lots of friends who you haven't seen in a long time. You'll run into people in the malls that you'll be like, oh, who's that person? Some of you might be tempted to walk the other way. I've done it. Sure, you guys have done it too. But think of it this way. God in his sovereign time sent Jesus down to, 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 um, to Mary and Joseph. God in his sovereign time, could he not be at this time sovereignly bringing people into your life? Can you not trust him in doing that? Could you stop saying, well, it's not God's timing yet? Could you stop saying that? Could you stop saying, well, God will give another time? Could you stop saying that? Could you just say and say, this is God's timing because 
in all the seconds of all the universe, I happen to meet this person now. And, and stop saying, well, it's going to be a next time. Can you stop saying that? And so stop saying to yourself, well, I don't have all the, I, I need to get all the answers first. Can you stop saying it needs to be the right time? Can you stop saying that I, I need to have the right arguments? Can you stop saying that someone else will? Can you stop saying that? And can we say the way that God used Joseph and Mary, God can use me? Now be it, we're not giving birth to us, we're not going to give birth to a savior and raise him. But we, by our words and our actions, can impact a life who may, through us, come to know Christ and grow in Christ, who through us may experience a new birth in Jesus himself. If we stop making things so complicated. I can only imagine the people talking behind Joseph and Mary's back. I don't know if, Mary, if Joseph lied or not. Joseph, is that your child? I don't know what Joseph said. I have no idea. But all I know is that their love for the Lord surpassed it all. So as we take communion today, remember his love for you. And as we enter into the month of January, this Advent season, I pray I hear lots of stories of, from all of you of how you shared the love of Jesus with those that God has bring into your life. And what the results may be, that's up to the Lord. But may the Lord change your heart to experience, to know his grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, the grace that you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in this Advent season, we've seen the two people and their response to you and their role. John the Baptist who came to proclaim, knowing, Lord, that he was preparing us by teaching us about repentance, about our sins and our need for forgiveness. Through your servant Joseph, Lord God, who, whose lineage, Lord, was fraught with kings and murderers and prostitutes as well, but through whom you used, Lord, to bring about the birth of your Son and our Savior, Jesus himself. Lord, we teach us, we ask of you to help us to live in humility to you and to live in obedience to the calling that you have given to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.